to another Milwaukee Admirals podcast with Charlie Larson. I'm Aaron Sims. And Charlie, today we have one of the all-time greats. We, we spoke with him briefly before, but we, I don't want to say we made the mistake. We had him on at the same time as Gene Ubriaco. <laughs> and Ubi, Ubi loves to talk and Ubi loves to tell stories. And God bless him. We I, love that too. And, he, and he's got a lot of them. Uh, yes, he sure does. I don't know how he remembers them all, but he, but, he does. Well, it's it's only fair that this gentleman gets his own show because he's <laughs> one of the all-time great admirals. He's had a fantastic career. He stuck around Milwaukee uh, and contributed so much to hockey in this area, not only as a player, but as a coach and a mentor. Uh, he's admirals great, Eve Preston. Uh, Eve, thank you so much for doing this. How are you? Thank, thank you. I'm well. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Um, I look forward to this. It's going to be fun. That, it was it was so fun with Ubi, and, I, and I'm wondering, like you were sitting, and I remember watching this, because we did this on Zoom, and we were watching everybody's face, and and Ubi just jumped, like Ubi was so anxious and eager to tell all the stories, and I, I remember glancing over at you, and you were just smiling, because you know Ubi, and you probably loved hearing these stories, maybe you've heard them a million times, but I, I, I just, I loved it, I loved watching your face during all of that. Yeah, he, 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 yeah, he was on, he was... Uh... <laughs> He's not shy, but he's not camera shy. No. <laughs> or no. Zoom shy. It, no, but, but he, I got to imagine, like, if he wanted to do it with you. when Right, Charlie? When you yeah, said, right, up, he right, wanted right. To, I, I got to do it with Eve or something like that. I mean, this is a guy, I don't know when the term players coach became in vogue, but it would seem to me that when Gene Ubriaco became a head coach in 1977, that uh, 76, 77, that he, he was a player's coach all along. Yeah. Yeah, he was. He was. He, uh, yeah, totally. He would give you some tips. He would laugh with you. He would, he would help you out. Um, he was, he was a good man. He is a good man. I mean, I, you know, I think he's still coaching somewhere, isn't he? Or no, he's retired now in Chicago. He's still yeah. affiliated with the Wolves. Yeah. He still has a, he still has a role there and another championship now. In that yeah. role. So. That's right. Yeah, That's he, right. he he comes up here for every game, uh, every not oh not every but most Admirals Wolves games, and he if there's, a, I, if, there's me, if there's a meal if yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he also he loves to walk he loves to walk on the concourse a little bit and I know he just eats it up when the fans because we have some fans that were booster clubbers when you were around when you were playing Eve. Yeah. And he just loves to chat them up and hear from them. He loves to talk to Don Tanner and just sort of, you know, relive yeah. the old, old days, if you will. And I guess we all like to do that, but uh, he's got, a, he's got a little bit more time to relive than the, uh, than the three of us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the fans, the fans over the years um, have been incredible. Uh, when I go to the game, there's always somebody that's used to come and watch us and, you know, Back in the 76, 78, yeah. uh, you know, incredible, incredible. I remember this game. I remember you did that. I remember that. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. How many, how many times someone says that to you? Are you like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but it sounds great. <laughs> A lot. <laughs> <laughs> your, your history is, is really remarkable uh, when you consider your ties with yourself being one of the all-time greats, but I mean, you knew Danny LaCour when you were a kid, you were a teenager and lo and behold, here you are 45 years later, still kind of yes. doing the same thing. 
Yeah, yeah. I met Danny. This is a funny story. I met Danny late in Shikurumi for for lately. Okay. I don't know what it means in English, but what how do you translate <laughs> it in English? But so he played for the Quebec Rampart, which was the best team in the league for years. Guy Lafleur came from there. Uh, all the big guys came from Quebec, the city of Quebec City. The, yep. the Rampart was their names, and uh, so. One day we have a game at night and uh, not against the Rampart, but the, the manager comes in the locker room. He says, we have good news. We made a trade with Quebec, the Ramparts. So all of us, and we're, you know, we're 17 years old. We're all little guys, you know, 150 pounds. We're just trying to make it. So we're thinking we're going to get a big, tough, good goal scorer guy. And uh, so we're all waiting anxiously. All of a sudden the door swings open and Danny comes walking in. <laughs> five foot six, seven, five foot six at the most, and his hockey bag is bigger than he is. <laughs> so he walks, he walks in. We're all looking at him like, what the heck? He sits down, gets dressed, we jump on the ice, he scores three goals. Of course he did, yeah. The first well, yeah. game. So then we all went, yes, Danny, <laughs> welcome <laughs> to the team. <laughs> How was his mustache when he was 17? You know, let's see, did he have a mustache? I yeah, can't, uh, you know what? I cannot. I cannot I, picture him without I could one. Not That's why I Danny without a mustache. And I, I thought I had a picture of him somewhere around here. I could show it to you, but I think I took it down a little while ago. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he didn't have a mustache. He looks so young. He looks like a baby. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But so uh, the, we were. Yeah. It, it, it was amazing. It was that, amazing. That wasn't the end of your time in junior hockey, though. You had a couple of more seasons, and then you go pro, and you were in, you got the free, it wasn't frequent flyer miles back then, I suppose, but you, you were around yeah, quite yeah. a bit that your rookie season culminating ending in Milwaukee, but there were a few other stops before you got here. Yeah, absolutely. The first year when I came here in 76 was the end of the season. I had played for, this was my, uh, my third team. So I, I, I first went to Lewiston, Maine. They cut me. Then I went to the Bose Jaros. The team went under. Oh, they, really? Yeah. How did, so hold, actually, hold, Milwaukee hold, was my fourth team. Fourth team. I'm sorry. Uh, I got to – how does that – what happens when that when that goes on? You're playing, and all of a sudden you get off the ice, and they're like, sorry, boys, you're released? Like, what? what's going – what? Good crazy. luck. We'll see you. Yeah, good luck. You're, well, you're 18, 19 years old. Uh, yeah. At that point, I was maybe 19. So, Lewiston cuts me. I'm behind the bench, and we're playing the Bose Geralds. The owner of the team comes around, walks around, and goes uh, – are you Eve Preston? I go, yeah. He says, you want to come play with us? I go, yeah. Like you hadn't left the building. No, no. <laughs> this is during a game. I'm watching the, the team that's cut me. This you know, an hour before. Yeah. So he says, I'm going to send my plane, just be at the tarmac. And I had my girlfriend, Danielle, at the time. Uh, so go to the airport. We'll meet you there tomorrow. So we're in the tarmac in this little Lewiston airport and looking around, going, this little Cessna comes around, pulls right in front of us. So we start putting our bags in the tail of the plane and the plane can't take off. It's too heavy. It's too heavy. So, yeah, so they say, well, get rid of your girlfriend's luggage and a couple of your bags and just put your hockey bag in there. And that's it. So we flew, flew to both, uh, played a few games, maybe a month. And then they went bankrupt. 
Oh. So from there, they sent me to Dayton, Ohio, the Gems. Yeah. And uh, I never played a game there. I practiced with them for a month. They put me in a hotel. I was too young to order a beer. I couldn't go have a beer at the bar downstairs. Oh, my gosh. Uh, guys would pick me up in the, mor- in the morning for practice, drop me off, and I would just stick around for a month. And then they said, you're going to Milwaukee. So I, I couldn't barely speak English by then. You know, I was just learning the language, and watching uh, Sesame Street, and, and <laughs> watching The Price is Right. Right. And, you know, so then I get to Milwaukee, I walk in the locker room, it was like 80% French Canadians. Perfect. Was, all these guys were French Canadians. They were brought in by the coach. His name was Andre Caron. Yeah. And he was a character. So I, I played the, la- the second half of the season in Milwaukee. Uh, and then came back the year after. Or did I go to camp right away to Maine? To, to Philly. I think I went to, I think I may have gone to Philly right away. I'm not, I don't have the stats with me, but, uh, and then I went sent, I was sent to, to Portland, Maine and then called up to the Flyers. But, you know, when you're 19 years old, you know, it, it's not that important. You want to play hockey. You just want to, I was happy to travel around, look around, experience different things, learn a second language and just explore, you know, um, yeah, that, that's, that, that, that's what I did. You know, that first Admirals team you played on, we always talk about the 80, you know, 80, the, the guys from the early 80s, but you look at some of these names that we got on here. Phil Whitliff as a player. How was mm-hmm. Phil as a player? I mean, does is he, the, the, the old line is a guy doesn't even, the guy does, a guy doesn't know who his own starting goalie was. Was that how Phil was? Because he <laughs> scored a lot. He scored a lot of points. He scored a lot of points. He was good in front of the net. He would park is that himself. right? He would park himself himself in front of the net, and you got guys like Caputo and these guys would go retrieve it, pass it to him, and he would put it in the net. Phil was, was he, funny. He would do the warm up. He would. It's like he knew everybody in the in the stands. <laughs> You'd have one hand in his in his side of his pants, you know. He had his sticks dragging behind him. And then he would wave at people like, you know, <laughs> you know what, you know, what's so funny is last night, this, this is the honest truth. Last night, um, I live in Enderus Park and they have concerts in the park and I'm next to a friend and they introduce me to somebody else and they say he works for the Admirals. And they said, do you know Phil Whitliff? <laughs> oh, and, okay. and I said, yeah. And, and they said, what a guy, huh? And I'm he knows everybody, they tell me. And, you know, and, yeah, and they had Phil stories, right? I'm like, yeah, well, that, yeah that's Phil, right? That's Phil. Was, yeah. Did he, was he, like, we talk about Ubi as being a great storyteller. Phil is also a phenomenal Old storyteller. Timer, yeah. Has yeah. stories for everything. Was he like that as a player, too, in the locker room? Was he just, you know, telling the boys about what it was like to play for Notre Dame football and everything like that? No, he didn't really, he didn't really engage with that. Um, you didn't, um, maybe more after the game. Sure. (laughs) Right. Right. Or two, maybe he would open up a little bit, but I don't remember him talking about Notre Dame that much. Yeah. Um, with that, and that's surprising for anybody from Notre Dame, to be honest, but, uh, uh, your years here. So when you're in Milwaukee, are you Philadelphia Flyers? 
property, so to speak, or had you, you had not signed with them? I had not signed with them. So they came to a couple of games, I guess. And they because I bring this up because they had an affiliation with the admirals at the time. You were kind of like the double A affiliate, right? Philadelphia's double A affiliate was, was here. Well, I think we were, but I didn't know that. So I was okay. just playing, you know, and they, they saw me and they said, well, let's invite him to camp. Um, and this know, is Broad I mean, Street bully stuff. This is, th- yeah, these yeah. were big, bad flyers at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that summer, I went back home and I just focused for about four and a half, five months on just working out. Um, went to bed early, um, got up early, ate the right food, worked out like a bandit. I, my mom made me a lead vest. <laughs> and mom, I said, you know, I got to hack this up. I can't just go. I got I to increase my speed and my strength. So I worked out. My coach, Jacques Saint-Jean, had a gym in the rink that I, where I played junior at, the Laval, National Laval. Mike Bossy was my right winger. Oh, Sassy. wow. Wow. He just Lost passed him. away. Yeah. yeah. All um, of Famer. So he had a gym in the, in the rink. So I would bike uh, 30 minutes from Montreal North to Laval to this, this rink where we played on this beat-up bike. And I would work out and I would exercise and I would bike back, go up three flights of stairs to, to our, our house or apartment. And I said, mom, I said, I, I need to do something different. She says, what do you mean? I go, yeah, she's a seamstress. She could sew really well. We had a big sewing machine. I go, I need to have something heavy in my body. So I need you to make me a vest and every inch and a half just sew, you know, seams all the way around the vest so I can, and I went and got some, some lead bars about this big around, stuck it all around. This thing weighed about 20, 22 pounds. Jeez. Wow. So then I would put it on bike across, across the bridge to Laval. And I would three days, three days a week, I would do the upper body and three days a week. I would do the leg work, the leg work with the vest on my body. It took a mile. It took six laps around the top of the rink to, yeah. to do a mile. So what I would do, instead of do it flat on the top, I would go steps by steps six times oh. Oh my with gosh. the vest on my back. Holy cow. So by the time I got on the ice, it was so much fun. <laughs> I could just take off and nobody, nobody could touch me. And it was just power because hockey is really explosion, right? You gotta, you just don't, I mean, you can run 10 miles every day, but that's not going to do any good at hockey. I mean, your heart's going to be good. You're going to have, you know, um, you're going to have, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Endurance. Endurance, but hockey is explosion. You're on the ice for 35, 40 seconds at a time. That's it. You explode, you get hit. Zero to... You know, zero to 60, man, zero to 60. Right. And then you go back to the bench, you relax for a minute or two, and then you go back on the ice. That's the way I train. And it really paid off. By the time I got to training camps, they, the Flyers offered me a contract. That re- uh, and that was really your calling card. What I mean, the way you, you're skating, your, all, your yeah. power, that was that. I mean, yeah. it, it would yeah. all happen that summer for you. Yeah. If I can get to a puck before anybody else, I could, you know, this was my one, two, boom, I was there. And 
that really changed my life, really. It, it, it just opened up a whole new world for me because all of a sudden I got a contract with the Flyers. I played for Maine. Uh, you know, yeah. And I, I'd love to hear how does how did they reach out to you back then, right? Back in, in late 70s, how did the Flyers get a hold of you and say, Eve Preston, we want to sign you to a contract? They they have a a scout, do, do they have a scout up, uh, up, up in Quebec? They had a scout in Milwaukee. Somebody came to Milwaukee and watched oh, me play. So this was in the middle of the season in Milwaukee, not even this there. Is this, yeah, this is the second half of 76 in Milwaukee. And I think I had, a, in 30-some games, I think I had 30 points or 35 points. I'm not sure. But I had a good, um, a good second half. And that launched me. You know, you talk about how do they get a hold of me. Let me show you something real quick. A friend of mine sent me this. I don't know if you'll be able to see it, but this is a letter from the Maple Leaf Garden sure. sent, to, sent to Jim Pappen. And this is an invitation to camp. You know, we will start our training camp on Friday, September 7th at the Peterborough, Ontario Arena. All players are to report to the Express Hotel uh, Friday morning at uh, the 7th. Um, the funny part about this is this is 19, August 2nd, 1962, that he got this letter. And you got the, you got the Maple Leaf, Maple Leaf uh, Garden. Uh, like there, yeah. Yeah. There. But this area here is funny because it says, I expect you to report in good condition and no more than seven pounds over your playing weight <laughs> with a minimum of being able to do 20 push-ups, 20 setups, and 30 knee bends. Wow. I mean, this is real. That's real. 62, 30 knee bends. Yeah. I, you know? I, I, I saw something similar um, that uh, I, I think Ren Blair had sent out, and it was something along the lines of, uh, we will golf no more than three times a week or something like that. I mean, it was, it was something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all, it's all business. It says, uh, <laughs> let's see, it says, bring your clubs. <laughs> uh, let's see. Yeah, they, they say, bring your, bring your golf clubs. You're going to play golf. We unfortunately just lost Jim Pappen, too, recently. Oh, uh, that's right. Yes. And oh, he, yes. A, a former head coach of the Admirals, Jim Pappen. And then that's he right. was with the Blackhawks. So. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jim Pappen, I believe he was notorious for pulling over the bus at the skyline of Chicago. And because he still went, lived in Chicago, he still lived in Chicago and they drop, they would drop him off. And he, they say he stops the bus. He wakes everybody up coming home from who, wherever Kalamazoo or Muskegon or what, wherever. And it's the middle of the night and he wakes everyone up and he says, okay, I want all you guys to take a good look at Chicago right here. All these lights. This is as close as you're ever going to get there. And he gets <laughs> off the bus and leaves. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure that endeared him to all the guys who ended up being there a oh, couple yeah. years later, right? For sure. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, so, I, so you, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to no, say, no, so you, you end up in, in Philadelphia's camp and you end up playing in the American League then for a couple of seasons with Maine. Yeah. With the Mariners. Yeah. So, then, but you but you make your NHL debut in '78, right? Yeah. '78. So you get a handful of games there. I mean, again, we're Broad Street bullies here. We're Bobby Clark and 
Billy Barber. I mean, just some of the great names of all time that you end up there with. I mean, what what is that like for you? It, oh, it's crazy. Well, training camp, first of all, we're, we're practicing, not at the Spectrum, but I think at the University uh, of Philadelphia, right? Not too far from the Spectrum. And there's players, there's 62 guys at camp. Oh my gosh. First round choice, second round, third round, 10 rounds. And I was never drafted. But I was ready, right? Because I had that lead vest in my, in my training all summer long. So at one end, there's the Flyers team. Bobby Clark, Reggie Leach, Billy Barber, Moose Dupont, Bernie Perron, they're all in one locker. And then all the way around. So next to it was the first-round draft choice, second-round third, all around the building, the bottom of the building. And I was in the last locker room with four or five guys, right? <laughs> so, and every day they would come by and, okay, you come on in, you, you know, you're cut, you're going home, you're going home, you're going home. And I would make my way counterclockwise back closer to the Flyers wow. locker room until one day the trainer, and I can't remember his name, he came, he took my jersey off the, the, off the back of my stall and he goes, come on in, kid, come in the locker room. And I was like, oh, my God. Wow. I'm sitting down and all these guys are around there. There's McLeish, Barber, DuPont. Uh, I, was in, oh, I was super impressed, obviously. Reggie, Le Reggie Leach, yeah. Right. yeah. So That's incredible. Then, yeah. And then they sent to Maine, and I have a good time in Maine. I have a good season. And every once in a while, they would call me back up. And uh, I scored a few goals right away. I think I scored uh, – I don't know if I have that somewhere. Uh, I don't, but I can find it for you. You had, you had nine games that year. You had three goals and an assist. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I tell you, I got, you get in the locker room, you get on the, on the ice and the crowd. And I was like, I was nervous. I could barely breathe. It was, it was incredible. It do was you exciting. Do you remember that first game again? Like, did you have a welcome to the NHL moment? As in, like, boy, I'm lining up, you know, uh, who, who I don't even know who you necessarily who do you who you lined up against. But Maybe it was Willie Plett we talked about before we turned. <laughs> I think the it microphone. was Willie Plett. I think it was the Flames in Atlanta. Yeah. And uh, this guy was a this guy was I don't know six foot nine ten on skates, and I was like, <laughs> his knees were right here next to my my eyes. It was like, oh my god, with, but so, yeah. And, and, and uh, what 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 are you telling yourself? I mean, you're you're not a big guy, right? I, certainly, right. we've seen videos of you getting in a scrap, but like like Aaron said, this is the ball, Broad Street Bullies. This is the NHL of the '70s and the yeah. almost the early '80s, where it was like, you know, uh, it was rough. It was the rough. Ruins are in the stands, beating guys with their shoes. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah, I remember exactly. that. I remember that. You know what I'm telling myself is, you know, do what you know. Yeah. You've been skating. You've been playing hockey for a long time. Just do what you know. Don't try to beat up people don't try to over you know state your welcome don't try just do what you're what you're known for just do what you know yeah. so i just put my head down and work hard you know uh if i get a break i get a break but yeah. my goodness what a what a lesson though i and i hope people are, are listening but you you they tell you that they want to sign you you go home go to work you get inventive with how you're going to work out your family's helping i mean it's 
it's really a great, great, and, and, and don't get me wrong, every, every young man who makes it to the NHL, it's, it's a family, there's yeah. a lot of people pulling that weight, but I mean, it's, yeah. it's such a great story for the family. Yeah, yeah, my family was very proud, obviously. I remember, um, my, well, I'll tell you my welcome to the NHL. Uh, it was against the Montreal Canadian at the, at the Forum. At oh, the man, you're playing at home, yeah. Well, you know, back then, in the late 70s, I used to have long hair and a mustache, and everybody did. And I played with Pete Peters and Gary Morrison, also sure. played for the Admirals. For the Admirals, absolutely. We all tried out with the Flyers. We all made the team. So Pete Peters comes out of the shower one day, and the team jumps him with razors and shave his head. Oh. oh. Armpit, everything, shaves him like a chicken. <laughs> so Gary Morrison and I, and by the way, we all, we rented a house, the three rookies together in Jersey. Yeah. Um, so we have a house together. So we go back home and we're looking at each other and we go, Pete, you look like crap. He <laughs> <laughs> goes, hey, you know, You'll get it soon. You'll get it soon. So the, a week later, Gary Morrison. And he's a big guy. He's 6'2", 220. Boom. They jump him, shave everything on his on his body. Oh. Hair and everything. So now my two roommates were bald. And I still have my long flow and my mustache. And I'm, you know, <laughs> Preston, you're next. And if they don't do you by next week, We'll do it ourselves. We're going to get you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that's good. A week goes by, two weeks, three weeks, a month goes by, nothing happens. Really? Right. So I'm thinking, I'm in the clear. Another two weeks goes by, nothing happens. But they were waiting to do my hair when we played against the Montreal Canadiens. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. So Saturdays, this is Hockey Night in Canada. So it's huge, right? <laughs> and all week I'm calling my buddies and my mom and dad. I go, hey, bring everybody. I'm playing at the form against Guy Lafleur. You know, I'm so excited. Bring everybody. So Saturday morning, we have a short walk through practice just in yep. sweats you know we're walking through practice we go in the locker room boom oh shave my hair shave my mustache everything oh, gosh. so now i'm thinking shit i'm gonna be in front of my fans my family. right right <laughs> and they're the not even is, gonna know who you are no and the thing is back then you could sign a waiver where you don't have to wear a helmet and i never wore a helmet so yeah. junior i played with a helmet uh, with the Admirals, I didn't play with the helmet. I didn't play with the helmet the rest of my career. Yeah. So now I'm flying to Montreal and I arrive in Montreal. So now I'm on the ice for the warm up and I'm skating around. And my back then, you could go right behind the bench in Montreal. You could just walk through the, the you know, the door and go right behind the bench and you can touch the players. You know, it was wide open. Then. Yeah, there no glass, no glass behind the bench. No glass, no nothing. So I see my family coming down, and my mom is on, like, her elbows on the board, and I'm skating right in front of her, like eight inches from her. 
and she's looking at me and she's looking over my shoulders. <laughs> Where's my son? Yeah, she's got Where's no idea. Son? So I turned around because my name Preston was on the back. I go, Mom. She goes, Oh my God, what have you done to my son? And she's going crying. <laughs> I go, It's okay, Mom. It's going to grow back. My dad says, Come on, honey. Let's go up. Let's go up. Oh, yeah. And then, and that was my initiation to the NHL. Yeah. And oh. then I'm starting the game. And who's against me on right wing? I'm a left wing. Gila Flora. Gila Flora. And the guy, I thought I could skate. This guy was, I mean, all game long, I'm chasing him from behind. You yeah. Know, he's taking shots and he's hitting posts. And I'm going, oh, my God, don't go in. You know, I can see. Right, don't score. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. oh, my God. Yeah. That's, that's remarkable. And then between peers, they want to do an interview with me. And I'm thinking, well, you know, why not? So they give me a Flyers baseball cap, and I'm talking in French to the uh, to the radio CBC or whoever, yeah. And he says, "Okay, you know, thank you so much for your time, but Eve, before you go, why don't you take your cap off and tell us a little bit about oh, about what happened? About what happened to you? So <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was it. Wow, that was my initiation to the NHL. Super unreal that yeah. they laid in wait for i mean there's some big dudes on that team too too you're not getting away from paul holmgren and you ken wilson you and those guys are no no kenny lisman i roommate with kenny lisman the rat yeah yeah i didn't like to be called that i think one of the interviewer one of the guy i can't remember the guy on sports uh called him the rat and he just walked away he just got up and left the interview yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. really yeah i can yeah. i can understand that i can see why you wouldn't maybe want to have that nickname at least uh yeah. publicly but a good guy a good a really good guy fun yeah. guy um yeah he had uh moose dupont was funny he had um and these guys back then smoked in the locker room yeah you know <clears throat> i mean if they didn't smoke they chewed yeah so it was incredible Bernie Perron, Moose Dupont, McLeish, Barber, they all light up cigarettes in the locker room between periods. It was like... A, Which is crazy. It's crazy. If you think about it now. It is crazy. I mean, but back then in the, in the games, if you were too high, by the end of the third period, you couldn't see the... You couldn't see because all the smoke... At least <laughs> this, is, this is what Tim Van Wagner used to tell me about going to Detroit Red Wings games when he was a kid. Yeah. You're up in the old Chicago stadium. You can't see the ice. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Or, or the current Chicago Wolves game, but that's a, I think that's another thing. I played against the Hawks in Chicago and that was a special, I'll never forget it. Um, the locker room is down below. So you got to walk up the steps, up the stairs. Yeah. You know, up the stairs and you're skating around and, uh, we're all in the blue line. And back then they had the big organ in the corner. Sure. And, and when he played, people would sing, and like they do today, you know, they sing the national anthem. And Bobby Clark comes over to me, he goes, son, he says, don't, don't get nervous. It's going to get a little bit loud in here. I go, <laughs> it's a national anthem, Bobby. It's going to, you know, I've heard a million of them. He goes, yeah, just wait. And I'm standing there and all of a sudden that thing starts and people start to add goosebumps. Yeah. It was incredible. I'll never forget. It. And I couldn't hear, I was like, I couldn't hear, I, I went on the ice for my first shift and I couldn't, you know, I, you can hear the people skating around you, the, the ice and the skates and the pass in the board or the, the stick. I couldn't hear that. Wow. For like 10 minutes, I was like, 
deaf. Wow. It, it was That's... an incredible experience. That was that was incredible. Who do, who were you playing with in Philly? Like who who were you jumping the boards with? I would be um it would be, let's see, Bobby Clark and Reggie Leach. Wow. Center, Jeez, right not, not, a, not a bad combo, huh? Not a bad combo. And then it was a guy named Dunlop. He was a right center man. I played with him. Blake, Blake Dunlop, yeah. Great, great he guy. He ended up with St. Louis and yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but every time, every time I stepped on the ice, uh, I was just like, you know, overwhelmed. overwhelmed yeah. Really. Yeah. You had, uh, well, from leaving Milwaukee that first time, three years between stints in Milwaukee. So how did you end up back in Milwaukee in 81? Um, see, I went to Wichita. Flyers sent me down to Wichita. I played there for a, a season. or And that, CH, that CHL was good hockey. Like That, that was, was really good hockey. It, yeah. it was a tough league. Yeah. Was it, it? Was really, it was a goon league, really. Yeah. And we were in the last place. And then we made the playoffs and we went all the way down to Salt Lake City. And we lost, I think, in game seven to Salt Lake, I think. Uh, but we went deep in the last uh, final series. No, that, sorry to interrupt, but that Wichita team, you, you guys were, it was Philly and Edmonton sharing that team, right? Yes. Yes. So I look so at the goalie right. here. You had Ron Lowe for a couple of games, but Andy Moog, Pete Lapresti. Uh, we mentioned Charlie Huddy played on that team. I mean, what a, it's Dave Semenko, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, we had a good team. We were, and, and a sailor and the, the, the brass from Edmonton came down in Salt Lake and, and watched a few games. Um, yeah, that was a really good team. And we didn't, we didn't get it together till the end of the year, you know, but when we got it together, um, you know, we, it, we made some stride. We had a lot of fun. T.R. Ralston, I don't know if you know him or not. Yeah, I'm looking at his numbers here. 63 goals there, yeah. Yeah, that guy was good. Walt Pedumney sorely passed away as well. Yeah. Um, Gordy Stafford. Gordy Stafford was there, yes. Yeah. Yeah, Cal, yeah. Cal Roadhouse, yeah. Cal Roadhouse. Uh, so from Wichita, I went – oh, I went <laughs> – I stopped playing and I start, I went to a dealership. Let's see, I gotta get this right. No, I stopped playing. I sold cars for Foster Pontiac in Milwaukee on 27th Street, 27th Avenue. I don't know oh. if you remember that name. Foster. No. So I'm sitting at my desk. Well, the first day I was there, I sold the car. It was a Fiero. It was a <laughs> brand new car. This girl comes around, she's running around the car, just outside my window at, at the dealership. She walks in, I'm the only guy there. She says, I want that car. I go, well, I don't really know what to do. I open a desk, there's a contract. She signs the contract with the full boat. There was no negotiation on the, on the Fieros at all back then. Well, it didn't last long anyways. <laughs> so I sold the car and I walk into the manager's office. I go, hey, look, I sold the car. He goes, you've been here an hour. <laughs> I know. And the reason he hired me is because I played for the Admirals because he knew that my fans would come and buy, to buy a car from you. Right. So I sold that car and then it went nothing after that for three months. <laughs> Not one car. But this is what? This is 84? This is no, this is before that. Um, maybe I can wrap it up. Let's see. So 
you were in Wichita. Uh, Wichita. Um, Wichita was after that. So oh, I wow. my years confused. So okay. anyways, so then I get a call from uh, an agent in Montreal. He goes, hey, I got a place for you to play in uh, Paris, France. Ooh. I go, I'm there. So they paid for everything. They give me, they paid me in American money. I was there for four months, played, didn't really like it. I mean, I liked the city, obviously, but the hockey was poor. And they played once a week and practiced once a week. This was supposed to be a pro team. So anyways, I left that. And then after that, I think I think I went home and I think that's when Phil called me. He says, hey, he says, what are you doing? You want to come back? I go, yeah, I'm coming back. I think that's the way it happened. Wow. wow. But Phil so, called me. Yeah. And, then, yeah. and, then it, and then it basically became home. And yeah. those are, when we think of the great teams in Admiral's history, that's where, are, it, where it happened right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, so and I, I've been here ever since. Yeah, and it's so you, it's so interesting to me. We always talk about the hockey world's a small world, especially now. But back then, it was too. It was uh, you. You come into that locker room and you play. There's Cal Roadhouse and Gordy Stafford and Danny Lacour and the coach yeah. is Phil Whitliff. So what was it like for you, Richie? So, Richie Sirwa. Yeah. Richie Sirwa. Right. I just talked like to him you? yesterday, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. What's it like for you to play for Phil after? Uh, after playing with Phil? It was interesting. You know, I mean, Phil didn't say much at all. I mean, he, we knew what we had to do. We knew, you know, I think coaching is, I think is much more important when you're a youth, when you're, yeah. you know, Wee Bantam, when you're before 16, 17, that's when you learn, right? I mean, you always master your craft after that. Because as you go, uh, deeper and deeper or higher and higher in, in, in the hockey world, then you got better competition. So you have to adjust a few things. Uh, so there's not a lot of coaching at this level besides, okay, the play on a power play, this is the play we're going to use on the killing a penalty. This is what we're going to use. Um, but there's a lot of improvisation that you can't really teach. I mean, hockey is a reaction game, right? Right. Uh, so the guys in the locker room, you know, we knew what we had to do. Uh, Phil designed a few plays for us uh, defensively, offensively, um, and that was it. It wasn't much difference playing with him or being coached by Phil, to be honest. Yeah, you know, he's not he's not on the ice. He's on the bench the whole time. He's on the bench. You know, you, yeah. you know, it's okay. Line one, you go ahead. Or, you know, taps you on the shoulder. Go ahead and play there. It's a hard play. Fleshy's line is up, or Danny's line is up, or Eve's line is up. Yeah. yeah. We think of, we don't think of that as like a primary, like you look at the American Hockey League now and it's a full-on development league, right? right? We don't necessarily think of the IHL in the 80s as that type of league. But at the same time, as I'm looking here, John Flesh was 29, Jim Bannatyne was 35, and everybody else was in their mid-20s or younger. I mean, yeah. so it basically, I mean, it was a young man's team still. It was, it was, it, it was a good league. I mean, not a, I mean, the hockey has changed overall. You look at the, the Emeralds today, the players, I mean, the size, the speed, the skills, it's so much better than, than, than us when we played in, you know, in late 70s, early 80s. I compare the game today, if you look at, um, I don't know if it's a good analogy or not, but back then it was more like a waltz. You could take the puck and skate a little bit, make a pass, you know, the play would develop and it would, you know, you could see it coming. 
Now it's bang, 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 bang. It's more like back then it was more like a waltz, you know? Yeah. And now it's like hard rock dancing. It's like yeah, boom, right. boom, boom, you know? Yeah. It happens so fast. Um, so it's it's so different. Who were you? Who were you playing with? Who was uh, uh, in Milwaukee? Those obviously things changed, but for the most part, a lot of those teams stayed together. Who were your line mates? Well, we had the sevens lines. I had number seven. Yakuchuk was number seventy-seven. 77 yeah. Danny was twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. So, so that's a to, yeah. I switched to right wing as the lefty. Danny was left wing, and and Yak was uh, the center. And uh, yeah, Danny scored like seventy-two goals that year, or something like that. Yeah, more than five. Yeah, more than five. Yeah. Led all of hockey more than Wayne Gretzky. I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned Dale Yakachuk and Dale. Dale, it could have been easy for him the way he told us a couple of years ago. It could have been easy for him to get sour on being a pro hockey player the way it went down with Winnipeg and his draft status and WHA stuff and all of that stuff, but. Um, Dale Yak, I don't think. Give us an idea how good a player Dale Yakachuk was. Well, Dale, he had the size. One thing, he had the size. Um, he could skate very well, and he had good hockey sense. I mean, he would just be able to dish the puck to me on the right side or Danny on the left side. Um, Hundred assists that one year, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Should, should have been IHL MVP for except for an incident. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think. Dale may have lost his focus at the end more than anything else uh, because I think he had the tools. Uh, I think he would have needed to maybe beef up a little bit. He was six foot three or four, and he was maybe, I don't know, 195 pounds, um, you know. But he was, a good, he was a good centerman. He was a good hockey player for sure. So tell us what it was like to be with Dale off the ice then. He was uh, – <laughs> He told, he told a, a couple a of the greatest stories I've ever heard in my life. About taking some guy's uh, leather jacket after a fight outside. Him and Boxcar Davis at yeah, yeah. Goolies. Yeah, you know, the thing is, I was with these guys. <laughs> um, I, we weren't major Goolsbees. Yep. I don't know what we did wrong, but and, and they picked on the wrong crowd because you got Bruce McKay, uh, Boxcar Davis, Dale Yakuchuk, me, and there was another guy. Now we're walking out and um, we're going by uh, the, where we played, the, the what was At the it? arena, yeah. At the, at the, at the arena. arena, yeah. And these guys, these three guys or four guys are following us. We're going, you know, so right away, Boscar turns around and what do you guys want? What do you, you know, and these guys want to fight. I don't know why they want to fight. Yeah. And um so I'm sit, I'm in the back, right? I mean, there's a row. These there's there's Bruce McKay, Dan Epichuk, and Boxcar's in the front, and I'm <laughs> wisely behind them. In the back, yeah. <laughs> and Boxcar said, "Okay, you want to fight? Let's fight." He says, "But you really have a nice leather coat. It'd be a shame to, you know, to scrape it up. Uh, why not? Why don't you? Why don't you take it off?" So the guy's got his coat around his elbows like this and Boxcar just hits him with one punch. Donnie went and the other guy just scattered. <laughs> so Boxcar puts his uh, his foot on the guy's chest and he pulls the first sleeve out, flips him around, pulls the second sleeve out, puts the coat on and hey, 
it fits me pretty good. <laughs> and we all walk away. <laughs> I mean, that, you know, it's, it's, it was crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, because of movies like Slapshot, we all think that this was a common occurrence. How common of an occurrence? How common was something like this? It was not common. It yeah. was not. It yeah. was not. No. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be as great to hear these stories if it happened every single night. I guess. Right. 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 But this, yeah, this was. I don't know why they followed us outside and we didn't talk to them. We didn't look at them. We just had a couple of beers what? and moved out. Yeah, the explanation that the explanation that Yak gave us is that there had been a concert, and these guys had been uh, had had a little too much to drink, ah, and uh, okay. then that's when they saw you at Goolsby's and we're looking for some fun. Yeah, we're looking for yeah, we're looking for trouble, and they got it. They got trouble. <laughs> yeah, they did. They did. Yeah. Now I would. I mean, I don't know how who we got to put on this. What kind of detective we got to put on this? I want to find that guy whose coat that was. Oh, I uh, get, uh, get the his perspective of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it doesn't happen that often. Uh, I'm sure there's other stories, but um, yeah, that was that was odd. That that '82 '83 team, and it made it to the Turner Cup final. Uh, how special of a group was that? '82 um, '83. You know, we played Toledo, right? We got beat yep. against Toledo. Yeah, yep. yeah. it was a good team. Um, but we all came apart in Toledo. There was a, I think it was a brawl in Toledo. Uh, and I think we lost like 10 to three or something. It was a crazy Six, score. Un, it was 16 to four, unfortunately. 16 to four. Oh man. It was yeah. the worst I remember. And they, and they had the gong right behind the bench that every time they scored, it would ring. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm sure that just drove you nuts. Yeah. Yeah. And we had, and the place was crazy. The pl I remember Gino, our bus driver, um, I, he was sitting behind a bench, and I remember one time looking back, and he's got a guy, he's swinging the guy around like a <laughs> and, <laughs> and he just let him go, and all, boom, the guy hit a bunch of people, and and then he was sitting by himself because nobody wanted to go near him, which is what <laughs> we wanted. But, yeah, that place was uh, crazy. And after the game, there was a snowstorm that I'll never forget. We're in the bus, and they had to pull the bus halfway into the, the building in the big garage door in the back so we could load up and not, you know, not be, have snowballs thrown at us. So we get in the bus, and then we start going out of the, the rink into the parking lot, and there's a guy in a wheelchair with about 10 snowballs on his laps, and he's chasing the bus and throwing <laughs> snowballs. I mean, Toledo was a crazy place. They love their team, man. But they, yeah. they, they, they love their team, but they hate the other team even more. Right, right, right. And, and there was never hot water in the shower. The guy would turn, I, we swear to God, he would turn it off. After the game, the ice with the, the showers was cold as ice. Oof. Yeah. Unreal. I mean, had, that is unreal. Yeah, yeah. They, they took advantage of us, but. So it was, we had a good team, but um, it's too bad. But we, I wish we would have won a championship because even in 76, 77, we had a good team. Yeah. Um, we had many good teams, a lot of good players. Does uh, it, for, for you, for your teammates, but then also for Mr. and Mrs. Pettit? Yes. Is that how you feel? I mean, that's how you yeah, feel? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
because they put in they, they 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 put up with so much and they they did so much for the city and us. I mean, they gave us a chance to to grow and to to learn and and to have a chance to play hockey. Um, and that's why I wish we could have won at least one, if not two, for them. Yeah. You know, and I talked to Doug Pettit. I talked to their son once in a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, play golf with them once in a while. And we talk about that. We talk about that. We wish yeah. we would have won uh, for, for his parents. Yeah. Yeah. You, you retired from hockey at a pretty young age. Yeah. After, a, after a really good season, 84, 83, 84 was a good season for you. Yeah. You played all 82 games, yeah. uh, point-a-game guy. Was that was it part of it because of the where the, the Admirals were going to the Blackhawks affiliation and you wanted to stay in Milwaukee? Why was that? No, I, I remember when I made the decision. I was in the back of the bus. And remember, I've been playing in the minors for a while, so I've been riding the bus for – a long a time, years. lots of miles. And being in the bus the first year is like, it's cool. You know, you're with your buddies, you're going to a different city. After a few years, you're going. So I'm in the back of the bus, near the bathroom. Yeah. And it's late at night. Some guys are sleeping, some guys are playing cars. There's beer cans floating around the bus. You can hear it rattle. And I'm going, and I, I think I was 28 years old by then. I go, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta do something. I gotta change path here. I can't. I'm not gonna go back to the majors. I'm too old. Yeah. And uh, I just decided that was it. I, I need to, I need to find another way. So I retired, and I ended up working for uh, Sprint, big corporation back then. Yeah. Still big, but phone, phone company, yeah, phone company, and. Um, I was a sales executive for them, then a manager, then I managed three states. Um, then I moved to Chicago with them, then came back. Um, yeah, back then it was one, the phone lines, the hard lines, the telephone on your desk yeah, yeah. was it. Not not the iPhone or whatever thing is right, right here. Exactly. It, it was so different. Um, but yeah, that, that night coming back, I can't remember if maybe Grand Rapids or whatever. And I go, you know, I'm tired of this. I gotta, I gotta make a change. I don't know what I'm gonna do. Um, I gotta make a change. And I think maybe that's when I, I hooked up with Foster Pontiac. Maybe. I can't remember. But they gave me a job because I, you know, they thought all the fans would come and buy cars. Yeah. That didn't work that way. Yeah. <laughs> they were too busy buying Admirals tickets. <laughs> Was it, was, was it so tough? Naive, you know, I was, was, it was it, tough. You know what? It's the hardest thing to do is when you, <clears throat> you play a pro sport, no matter what sport you play, and it's in your heart, you work all your life for it. And that's all you know what to do. Right. And all of a sudden, real life comes into play. Now, the adulation is over. Nobody recognizes you, at least after a while, which is fine. I, I, you know, I've grown to appreciate that. Um, but all this, all that stops. You're thinking, what, what am I going to do? What, yeah. what's next? You know, and some guys have a really, really, really hard time with that. Did For you sure. get asked? So it's the 84, 85. You had, you end up retiring at the end of 83, 84. 
The next season is the Blackhawks, as Charlie mentioned, but that lasts just the one year. So the next season, 85, 86, Phil is putting the old band back together, basically. Mm-hmm. Did you did you get a call? Did, were you tempted at all to do it again or no? Uh, no, I was not tempted. You may have called me and I probably said, no, I'm done, you know, but I don't remember. Yeah. But I was done. I was done. I think it was the right move for me. Uh, going into the real world, um, learn different things, uh, made a good living. You know. That's one thing I've appreciated about you since, and I, we don't know each other extremely well, but seeing you around and talking with you at times and stuff like that, like your varied interests. And I, I have always appreciated that about you. Like you, you. you're, you want to be worldly and, and I, your curiosity. And I, and I, I really like that because I think especially when you're 26, 27 years old, you're still a fairly young man. And it's pretty easy to be hockey, 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 hockey all the time. Right. Right. You know, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to do it. I, I, I mean, I wanted to, I, maybe I could, could have done it for a few more years. Right. Yeah. But I needed to expand. I needed to something different. You know, I got into the corporate world, which, you know, now looking back may not have been the best thing to do, but at least that was my next step. It helped me to get the next step and the next step and the next step. It's always changing. So Uh, how much did your hockey experience help you to do all of those other steps? Oh, tremendously. Um, Able, being able to go into an an appointment and not knowing anything about the person and being able to, to speak to someone being able to confidence confidence is what, you know, you got, you know, I was confident. I I knew I needed to, to do something different and I was confident whatever would, would have been done. I would have done it. I would have, I was confident about it. Uh, Well, the story is I was hired for, for sprint. Um, Art Davis was the general manager in Chicago. There was two, there was a, twins called the Levy, Steve Levy and Mark Levy. They were the managers in Chicago. And they said, well, you want to work for Sprint in Milwaukee, you got to go through Chicago office and they, you know, they hire the people for the Milwaukee office. So I go to the 20th floor in a high rise in Chicago and I interview with Mark first. And he says, Zeve, says, you don't have a degree. You didn't go to college. Yeah. And, and Sprint hires only college degrees. Only college grads, huh? So I go, all right. But I want you to speak with uh, with my my brother. <laughs> so I go into the other office, two doors down. And it's just, I'm looking at the same guy. These guys are identical <laughs> twins, and I'm I'm freaking out. I'm going, okay. So I sit down with this guy, and he tells me the same thing. He goes, "Hey, you don't, you don't, uh, you don't have a college degree, so we can't hire you." So, tail between my legs, push the elevator button. I'm in the elevator with Art Davis, but I don't know it. And he's the guy in charge of Steve and Mark Levy. And I'm shaking my head, and I I got a suit on and tie. And he goes, he looks at me, and he was probably in his 60s, mid 60s, and I'm in, you know, I'm 30 or whatever by that time. He goes, What's the matter, son? I go, You know what? I go, I just got turned on for this job at Sprint. uh, I don't, I don't understand it. You know, they want college degrees, but I don't, I don't think that means much. She goes, I go, you know, this is, what do you mean? I go, well, 
do you know how hard it is to make to make it to you know I'm Chicago, so I'm thinking Chicago. Do you know how hard it is for a kid to play for the Cubs? Do you know how many kids want to play for the Cubs? He goes, I see millions of kids dream of playing in the Major League Baseball for the Cubs. Yeah. You know how many kids dream of playing for the Bears? I go, millions. He goes, well, what do you mean? I go, well, I played in the NHL. Do you know how hard it was for me to play in the NHL? Discipline, hard work got me there. And you can't learn that at school. You stopped the elevator. We went back up. You went to the third manager. His name was, uh, what was his name? I can see his face. You walked in his office. He goes, hey, this is Eve Preston. I want you to hire him today. He's going to come to training next week. And he's a member of a spring family now. Wow. The guy, the guy looked at me. And he goes, okay, that's the that boss told. So I got the job that way. So what did hockey to- taught me? That's what it taught me. Confident. Yeah, that's a true elevator pitch right there. That, they, call it, they call it elevator pitch. That's an elevator pitch. I mean, that's fantastic. It's, it sealed it right there. And thing is, I knew nothing about telecom. I remember my first meeting was in the boat of trade with a Chinese young lady. She could barely speak English. I could barely speak English. But we connected and I got my first sale. Within a week, wow. I got my first sale. So from there, I'm going, I can do this. Yes. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah. you end up, so you're, you do the training and all of that in Chicago, but you end up back in Milwaukee and then you get into coaching young players. So how did how did that come up? Or were you doing that at the time? How did that all come about? No, about? I, I did a hockey school with Gino Briaco. That was it. And Richie Sirwa. And that was it. I didn't coach anybody. Well, I coached in Waukesha um, for one year. Um, and then I stopped doing that. Uh, and then Cal Roadhouse was coaching with Lowell McDonald's at university school. Yeah. For years and years. So this now we're moving from the 80s to 2001. And he says, uh, Edie says, yeah, you know, you want to come and help me out? I go, you know, I don't know, coaching, uh, you know. He says, just come out for practice. So I got on the ice practicing and instinct kicks in. You know, those kids are skating around. I, I had something to teach them, right? I had, I knew stuff. I, I needed to get it out. And I did that for 11 years. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, really, I mean, that, that while that program was always – fantastic but yeah that's when state championships are coming and all of that stuff at that time yeah yeah and you know they have their own arena their own rink right next to school so after school kids would go there um and that's such a big advantage you know when you don't have to drive uh miles and miles at 6 a.m or 10 o'clock because there's no ice time yeah these kids that you know schedule 5 30 to 6 37 and they could go home and study and do you know do their thing with their family uh, and that was such a great opportunity. I'm so, I'm so grateful to Cal to have given me that, that chance because I we had a blast. We really had a good time, and we knew each other from Wichita, yeah, and the Admiral. So we had a lot of stories. You know, we'd look at each other across the bench, and we'd know exactly what we were thinking. You know, I, yeah, yeah. I think that that's just. <laughs> uh, so what are you doing now? You you had said before we turned everything on that you had just retired. Uh, yeah. Retired. Um, you know, I'm actually helping uh, Peter Epperson at Missing Links. 
a great place. He's got a beautiful driving range, a mini golf for the kids and a par three. So I'm an early riser um, and I get bored easily. So at 5 a.m. I'm at his place doing whatever, mowing the grass, uh, picking up balls at a tractor, serving golf balls to the customers. Uh, I do that for three, four hours a day and I'm back at my house and uh, you know do some work around the house. Um, I love photography, so I've done some photography. If you look at these pictures behind me, there are photographies and then I play with the colors, which is, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I just do different things, just keep me busy. Um, I enjoy my time off. Um, yeah, yeah, I play golf once or twice a week with buddies, have a couple of beers. Uh, it's simple, it's a simple life. You know, That's good. There's nothing wrong with that, man. And, no. you know, God bless, you're healthy enough to enjoy it. And that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, I'm very lucky. My dad just turned 95 a couple months ago. My daughter wow. turned 42. So she's in Portland, Oregon. She's doing very well. Um, yeah. So, you know, I like to travel. So I go to Portland to see her. I go to Montreal. Although I haven't been to Montreal since COVID. Sure. Uh, they had some pretty uh, stringent um criteria but now it's softened up a little bit um yeah yeah what what is it we always end these eve by asking our guests when you think of your time in milwaukee what do you think of but it, it's kind of unfair because this has been your home for 40 years to yeah. ask you something like that but yeah. what what is it about the community the team you look at the, i mean the guys you played with several of them have stuck around yeah. And, yeah, and made this their home. So what is it about, about this area? Wow, where do we start? Uh, I, the people, people for, for sure. Uh, nice, nice people down to earth, supportive. Um, and Wisconsin's by the Great Lake. It's a great lake, it's beautiful, it's gorgeous. Yeah. You got up north, you got the Lake Michigan, uh, easy to get around. You can get to downtown from Mequon or Brookfield. It's, it's easy. It's it's a simple place to live. You're not, you know, people say, well, my buddy Richie's in California. So why don't you move to California? So why would I want to do that? We've got everything. We have no flyers. Yeah, right. <laughs> right? Yep. We can but, drink the water. We can drink the water here. We can drink the water. Yep. You know, we have water to drink. Exactly. Lake Mead is all, you know, it's two-thirds empty right now. It's, it's unreal. Isn't it? Yeah. It's sad, really. Um, overall, Milwaukee's treating me very, very nicely, very well. And it's good, good community, good, good people, good beer. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it's 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 a good place. It's, well. Milwaukee's treated you well, but you've treated Milwaukee very well, too, the way you've <laughs> given to this community uh, in your time here. Uh, and you've treated us very well, too, with all the time you've given us over the years, too. We really appreciate it. Eve. Thank you're you. Ver you're very welcome. Very, it's great very to, welcome. It's a pleasure. It's great you know? to talk to you. I hope to see you uh, sometime in the near future here. Absolutely. Thank all you right. so much, Aaron. Thank you. It's Eve okay. Preston. Thanks for listening to this Milwaukee Admirals podcast.